Welcome to episode four of the Arbor Vitae podcast, promoting virtue in woodworking. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Jonathan Conrad. And we'll be your co-host today. Our mission is to explore how different virtues influence the way we live and work in the shop, how virtues contribute to the fruitfulness of our labor, and to highlight those who are making significant contributions to this great woodworking community. So what are you working on, Jonathan? All right, well, so what's on the bench? I have four chisels, and they all have different handles and different ferrules. So that's what I've been working on. You know, last episode, our our challenge to our listeners as well as a challenge to ourselves was to practice a skill. Yes. And obviously I picked uh, wood turning uh, and I picked the project of turning new handles for my chisels. So I've been working on that. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the results. Um, definitely a lot of learning lessons. I mean, I got exactly what I thought I would out of this, which is, um, I, you know, I learned several things along the way, uh, but I will say that I am, I cheated a little bit in that <laughs> I gave up on the skew chisel. Uh, I'm going to blame it on the wood. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I can get, I, I can work it just fine with other materials, but for whatever reason, the hickory in one direction, usually if I go like from right to left, even if I'm going from the outer diameter to the inner diameter, it jumps and skips backwards. So hmm. I kind of just said, you know what, I'm, I, I, I did the best I could. Um, the, the spindle gouge worked fantastically. Um, but the part that obviously I didn't do that I said I was going to do is I was going to make four identical handles. Right. So I'm, I, it's, you know, yeah, I kind of cheated a little bit, but at the same time, each handle that I made was better than the one that I made prior to that. Mm-hmm. It took less time. Um, I figured out the process. So I am glad that I didn't try and just make the first one four times Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have been very happy. Uh, So that being said, though, I'm going to say it on air because now I can't undo it, is that (laughs) I do want to make all four of them the same. Gotcha. So having taken the the lessons I've learned through that process... I want to take the best of both things. One of the, I, there's one handle that I like the best. It's number three if you if you're following us on Instagram, and then I like the fourth ferrule that I made the best because uh, I actually put it onto the the handle on the lathe and cleaned. I, I sanded off the black because it's leftover curtain rod, uh, <laughs> but it was awesome. a free material. So yeah. I'm really pleased with that. And I added some, you know, little decorative beading uh, that I thought really looked really, really nice. So mm-hmm. I do want to continue with that project, um, but it's been really fun. I, it's like I know why people love wood turning. Uh, you know, in 15 minutes or 30 minutes, you can have a finished product. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll talk more about this in in this week's episode. But I, when I had first purchased the lathe, I didn't really. I kind of got stuck halfway through because I was like, well, I don't have this and I don't, I don't have a, a chuck and I don't have, you know, the, all the turning tools and I don't have a bench grinder and I don't have all these things. And so therefore I just can't use my lathe. And it's, that's just not true. Um, it does take a little bit more practice and, and skill. Uh, but it's just like everything else. Even if I had all those tools, I wouldn't know how to use them until I practiced with them. So <laughs> that's been a really, really fun exercise, um, and I think I'm going to really benefit from forcing myself to actually make four identical handles. 
Wow. Uh, it, it goes against my nature, which is just kind of wing it and not do the same thing over and over again. Um, but that's, that's how you, that's how you hone your skills. So, um, I will complete that project, um, and I'm looking forward to it, but it's still been fun so far and I've used the chisels a couple of times and it's so much nicer having wood handles versus those really, really heavy epoxy handles. Mm -hmm. Also, it's fun to burn them. You, to get them off, you light them on fire <laughs> and it just, you know, it bubbles and it smokes and it just flames. And, uh, so that part was, you know, ironically really fun too. So, um, so that's, that's what's on my bench. What about you? I've also been working on the challenge from last week's episode and, or well, not last week, but last episode. And my challenge was hand sawing. I've always loved the idea that with a handsaw, you can cut to a line no matter where that line is or what the angle is, and I really want to be able to do that. So uh, I've been practicing. I took basically a, a one by four, a pine one by four that we had left over from something. I think it actually came from my grandfather's shop. Um, and I squared it up and struck, I think, twelve a series of 12 pencil lines on it. And then I took out my dovetail saw and I chucked it up in my vise and just sawed to the lines and it was pretty bad at first I, I mean it wasn't terrible but they were not plum cuts you yeah know? they weren't straight up and down at all um but as i as i went on i tried to compensate you know i found that uh, i was tilting the top of the saw a little bit ever so slightly to the left so that the the cut as it went down kind of veered off to the right at the bottom so what i had to do was i had to sort of consciously correct my stance with the saw so that the top of the saw was tilting ever so slight it felt like it was tilting to the right really it wasn't tilting because it means that i was going straight up and down but you know my natural inclination was to lean a little bit to the left so i had to try to correct that and i think by the end of that first board it was you know better um, I still have a long way to go, obviously, being my first 12 cuts in that exercise. Right. Um, it wasn't good, but uh, I've I've since gone on to make uh, two more practice boards. And the cool thing is I, I cut them off um, just under the the all of the cuts so that yeah. I can have as a, a reference, um, oh, I can good. have the blocks uh, and our our listeners can't see this, but I'm showing them to Jonathan now. Um, I have the three test blocks that I've done so far here, and I can look at them and, and compare them side by side and see my progress as I went through. So that's kind of neat. Um, plus, it gave me some extra added bonus practice of using my shooting board to re-square up the... Ah. Yeah, the, the practice board. So I made a shooting board, and I I haven't used it when I, it's like, I, I made it, it, you know, it worked and then I, you know, used it once or twice and then I just haven't since. And I really need to, you know, I, I need to do that more often because, uh, it's such a great, it's such a great tool. And if you know how to do it well, um, it really makes cutting with a handsaw and truing it up with a shooting board, not that much more time consuming than, you know, ripping it out on a miter saw. Right, right. Minus exactly. all the sawdust. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 
Um, and the sawdust that is there is heavier and doesn't kick up into the air as much. And, and yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really fun, and I'm I'm really glad that I did it, and I need to keep doing it. So uh, I'm gonna pledge to keep practicing, and since I said it on the podcast, I have to do it, uh, just like yep. yours. So the other thing that's really really cool is uh, my brother and I went down to Our Lady of the Holy Cross Abbey on Saturday. And we met with the new abbot there. Uh, it's it's an abbey in Berryville, Virginia. And they're in the middle of a renovation project right now where they're renovating their chapel space. And we were talking to the abbot about building a new altar for them. And That's so cool. It's, it's incredible. Um, it's, I guess it's mostly finalized at this point. Um, so I, I feel okay bringing it up on the podcast. But it's going to be an amazing project. They definitely want the altar and then possibly also um, a presider's chair and then a tabernacle to match in the same sort of design motif. And it's kind of more of a modern space, but they want the the woodwork that we will do to be a little bit more traditional. Um, and the abbot actually lent us a book of early Cistercian architecture that we could um, sort of take inspiration from because the idea then is that they want the chapel that they have now is temporary it's in another building they want eventually to build a separate chapel and redo the whole thing so we had asked if there was anything from the new renovation that he wanted us to use as like design motifs for the new woodworking and he said no actually uh, what i'd rather do is i'd rather you design this altar, you know, in this traditional way. And then when we do the new chapel, we will take our design motifs from your altar. Very cool. So <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. It's, it's excellent. They want it in, um, uh, rifts on white Oak, which is just going to be amazing Beautiful. to work with. Um, it's really, it's, it's not, I don't think, I don't think it's quite as hard as hickory, but it definitely takes a, a toll on your tools. So, um, it's not as sure. hard as hickory. I, it's a, I would say that it's a pleasure to work with, um, you know, if you've, if you've got good, you know, good materials. Right. And it looks beautiful. Yeah. And, and takes a finish really nicely. And there's just something about that beautiful, beautiful rifts on grain, you know, like the straight lines. And it, it really, I think because the art, the, the, the design of the altar will be architectural in nature, you know, um, arches and columns and things like that. Um, I feel like the straight grain of the rifts on oak will really lend itself to letting the forms that are present in the design speak for themselves. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's like a, you could call it a quiet grain, you know, um, and so... I'm really excited for that. So that's that's basically what we've been working on. That's fantastic. All right. So last week or well, last episode, we talked about practice and fortitude, and uh, we got some good feedback. And uh, you know, one of the great responses we got back was from uh, Corey Morgan, uh, Corey Morgan Woodworks on Instagram, mm -hmm. who, by the way, I, I I actually mentioned him on my main Instagram feed on Catholic, the Catholic Woodworker. Uh, but if if yes. you aren't following him, you have got to check out his work. He does amazing work, uh, and he's a full time woodworker. Like this isn't just a hobby for him. 
Uh, and that's really kind of the, the, the tone of his uh, feedback, or not really even feedback, but just his contribution to that conversation was that how different woodworking is for him as a full-time woodworker, as it being the, the primary and only source uh, um, to take care of the family. And how much different that, how that translates to a completely different world for him of, you know, using power tools out of necessity. Uh, and, you know, I know that, you know, there are several tools that he has. He's got a pretty big shop. Um, but when you have a, a, a deadline and when you have a, you know, a growing client base and a growing project list, you've got to find a way to get good quality work done you know, inefficiently because right. uh, your customers typically don't have, aren't interested in paying extra for you to do it by hand and get a workout. <laughs> they just want a quality product. Right, right. Uh, so, Corey, thank you for that contribution. And as, as we mentioned, definitely go check out uh, his work because he's done some amazing, amazing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I have to say, of all of the great things that have happened um, that that doing this podcast has opened up for us. My favorite is getting to meet all of these amazing people. I mean, it's it's incredible. And I'm not even talking about like our, our featured craftsmen and and the you know like the the people who have large social media followings, but like the 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 ordinary people who just come and say, Oh, we've, you know, we've listened to your podcast. Um, you know, it really resonated with me. And then we strike up a conversation and, you know, it's just, it's amazing. And it, it, I I feel like I say this a lot, but it, it builds everyone involved up, you know, absolutely. we provide all of this great encouragement to one another and, and it shows you that you're not out there working Alone. alone all by yourself, you know? Um, so, you know, we really appreciate it, Corey, and, and to everyone else who has come forward and, and given us feedback. Um, we've gotten some great constructive criticism, and hopefully that's making the podcast better as we go. So we'd, we'd love to keep hearing from all of you out there. So. Yeah, and the uh, Stay Virtuous hashtag is uh, catching on, so yes. keep, keep rolling with that. Yeah, Much appreciated. <laughs> I try and drop it whenever I can, but, uh, it's so much fun because I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, we, this podcast has given us a great opportunity to meet new people. Um, and you know, a lot of people might say, Oh, well, that's weird. You know, these people are on social media. Like how well do you really know them? But it's like social media has really just gotten us to a point where it helps us find people, but then, you know, we're building relationships. Um, that's how you and I got started. And right, that's how right. Mike Woods, who was a feature craftsman a couple episodes ago, I met him on Instagram and I've, you know, spent, uh, spent plenty of time with him both at his shop and, um, you know, him dropping off materials. And it's just, it's been really great to, to build these relationships. So, mm-hmm. um, so what are we, what are we talking about this week? This week we're talking about temperance, scarcity and temperance. So, um, Temperance is one of those things where I feel like many people have heard of temperance, but they might not 
necessarily think of it as a virtue or they might not know exactly how it's defined. So I was really glad that we looked this one up beforehand so that Absolutely. we can give a, a very clear and concise definition. And this is another one of those ones where we went to the catechism like to, to try to get uh, a, you know, a jumping off point. Inspiration. But, yeah, but the definition that's in the catechism was just too good to pass up. Again, so we're going to quote um, directly from the catechism here. Uh, Jonathan, you want to read that? Yeah. So temperance is the moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. It ensures the will's mastery over instincts and keeps desires within the limits of what is honorable. The temperate person directs the sensitive appetites toward what is good and maintains a healthy discretion. Incredible. So let's just let that soak in. I mean, <laughs> when we read it the first time, I, I was I was actually driving and Adam read it to me. And I was just like, wow, that is just powerful. Uh, and it, I mean, it so concisely summarizes. I mean, we could really just be like, well, that's our show. See you right. next time. Um, if you've got that, you've got all you need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we want to we want to dig into this, but you know, the reason why we paired temperance with scarcity um, is because you know, tempering is really about moderation and it, it, moderation and discipline. Right. And you know, scarcity really is all about the the the, the idea that there are limits. There are limited, you know, there's limited tool sets. There are limit. There's limited space. Uh, there's limited materials. And no matter how big your shop is, no matter how great your tool set is, no matter how amazing your selection of materials is, there's always limitations. Um, and really what we want to talk about is the benefits to, you know, scarcity being a thing and the benefits to being tempered uh, and being, you know, uh, working in moderation uh, and, and and really tempering your time and and other things in the shop there's so many benefits that we want to kind of highlight here um that really kind of put to rest this notion that i must have all of the best tools in order to start woodworking or i must have the nicest materials and if i don't have the best tools if i don't have a shop that's big enough if i don't have the best materials then it's just not worth doing because it's simply not true right and and what what you won't hear from us is which tools you should get and how many tools you should have and how big of a shop you need, what materials you should use. Because that's not, that's not something that we can universally say to all of our listeners out there. But what we can universally say to all of our listeners is there are ways of using whatever you have and can afford and have access to to make amazing things and to work in a fulfilling and virtuous manner using yes. what you have. So, it, I mean, obviously we, we have quite a few listeners who are either semi-professional or completely, you know, professional woodworkers who do this full time and their tool set is going to be different. You know, as, as you brought up Jonathan with, uh, with Corey Morgan, you know, um, when you're working for efficiency, that alone is enough to justify tools that a hobbyist couldn't afford, you know, or, or couldn't, um, couldn't justify putting the money toward. Uh, so you'll have to sort of adjust this to 
your state in life and 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 where you are uh, with woodworking, whether it's a hobby for you or a source of income. But the important thing to take away and what we're going to kind of get into here is that the lack of certain things, be they tools, materials, space, should not be a deterrent for what you can do. Absolutely. And if you think about those who do this professionally, those who do this full time, they didn't start with the tools in the shop that they have now. They started like the rest of us in a garage or in a closet or in some tiny space that they already had that they repurposed to do some basic woodworking to see if, you know, if it was really something they were passionate about and it grew organically from there. Right. I know of no woodworkers in the history of woodworking and I know them all, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm not at all uh, making this up that that just started woodworking in a 5,000 square foot warehouse that's climate controlled with an unlimited stash of lumber and all brand new powermatic tools. <laughs> right. <laughs> like no one starts there. Um, and for those who do, I kind of pity them because there's so much beauty in the struggle of making what you have work for you. Right. Um, there's so many beautiful lessons to be learned, uh, so many skills to be developed that you don't have, you don't get a chance to develop if you aren't limited in any capacity. Right. Well, and to speak to what you're saying about, about these professional woodworkers starting out, um, I, I do really quickly want, I promise this isn't going to be the, the Craig Thibodeau show, but I do have to quote him <laughs> really quickly because he's, he said something that, that hits on that really, really well. Um, he said, uh, I started with my woodworking in roughly the same way you did in a one car garage with some Harbor Freight tools. The only yeah. difference between then and now is years and years of practice and lots of patience. I firmly believe anyone can get good at woodwork or anything else for that matter. If they have the patience to practice. Exactly. And, and as soon as you said that, I thought about when he made that comment, I'm glad you pulled that up. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what we're talking about here. So um, one of the things that we want to talk about is the difference between a tool set and a skill set. Yeah, because I think a lot of, I mean, I'm guilty of this. And I think we all are to some extent of equating the tools that we have with the things that we're able to do. Mm -hmm. And those two things are not one in the same. You know, just because I have the best table saw does not mean that I'm inherently the best woodworker. And on mm -hmm. the, uh, on the contrary, just because I have a, a crappy questionable table saw that <laughs> the fence doesn't always stay still doesn't mean that I'm incapable of creating beautiful pieces of furniture. Right. And so, you know, we want to, we want to encourage those who, you know, get stuck or, or may feel discouraged um, at times and remind them that there is, those two things are very much different, the skill set and the tool set. And that's really what we want to be talking about. So as we mentioned, there's really three things um, that, you know, where scarcity of these, of any of these three things, any or all of them, uh, can really lead to creativity. Right. Uh, that it, it is almost a, you know, it fosters creativity. It does not hinder creativity. And and so, like I said, we, we, we talk about materials, you know, scarcity of materials, 
scarcity of space and then scarcity of the tools themselves, right? So um, when we look at, you know, we, we talked about tools, right? We'll talk about uh, Tyler uh, from DIY Tyler in, in, in a little bit um, more in detail, but, you know, he's a great example of, you know, somebody who started with a very, very small set of tools uh, on a limited budget and, you know, grew from there. Um, but we actually had a chance to interview him. He's our feature craftsman for this for this week. And again, we'll, we'll mention him in more detail later. But, um, you know, he's a great example of somebody that started with a very set, a limited set of tools, all of them purchased on Craigslist, actually turned several of them around for a profit that helped fund more tools. <laughs> right. And it's a fantastic story. But, you know, he's got a great shop now. Right. Um just like everybody else, he didn't start there. He didn't just walk into his basement with all these great tools uh, and just start making things. Sure. Uh, you know, so he's, you know, he's a great example of somebody that really started with uh, and did not, was not hindered by a, a very rudimentary set of tools um, and has really done some really amazing things as he's, you know, uh, developed his, his skills as a woodworker. Yeah. And I think the key there is learning to use whatever tools you do have. Um, I've heard it said that every woodworking tool is basically a chisel. It starts out as a chisel. You know, um, obviously we have chisels. We have planes, which are like chisels fixed in a certain position, you know, at a certain angle. They're like really wide chisels. Mm -hmm. um, we have saws which are metal plates with a bunch of little tiny chisels called teeth on them right. that cut across the wood, you know, and basically everything that we have is a sharp edge. It's, it's a, it's a wedge that comes to a very sharp point, you know, or hundreds of material. Wedges. Yeah. And, and removes material. So if you think about it, if everything works down to a chisel, then technically you could use a chisel and build, you know, all the pieces of furniture that you <laughs> that you'd use all these other tools to you you know to build, um, and I think the more tools you have, the more you start to think of them as only being able to be used for one thing. Whereas right. if you have a very limited number of tools, you've got these parameters that you need to work in, and that can breed creativity. Um, so you start to think outside the box and you start to say, okay, well, I really want to make this. And in a perfect world, I'd use this specialty tool to do it. How can I do that with what I do have? And, you know, you figure out ways. Exactly. So that's kind of what I wanted to share is, you know, some of the things that I learned over the past couple of years as to how I approach tools in the past and how I approach them now. Mm -hmm. um, so, I know I've mentioned it before, uh, but I'm, I, I, I don't mind mentioning it because I think it's an important lesson that I've learned that I want others, I want to spare others, you know, the, the frustration and going through this as well is that I, I bought several, you know, expensive tools. The lathe actually was one of them. I spent several hundred dollars on this lathe and up until last, you know, up until two weeks ago, it had been sitting on the bottom shelf of a workbench for two years collecting dust. Gotcha. Um, why? Because I bought it. I don't even really remember why I bought it. Um, I just wanted it, uh, but I didn't know how to use it. I didn't have the time to practice. Um, and it was more, 
you know, it wasn't really rewarding, right? Because I wasn't using it, but it was, it was almost every time I saw it, it was frustrating because it was just sitting there staring at me, um, kind of like, you know, nagging me, like, why did you buy me if you're not going to use me? <laughs> um, and the other thing was I, you know, I bought a fairly expensive bandsaw, uh, okay. and, which was another tool that I bought it because I wanted to resaw some lumber. Because, you know, that's totally a, a, a really, really great reason to buy a really expensive, large power tool for one small project <laughs> that could have easily been accomplished on the table saw. Right. And so I bought it. I used it a couple of times. I got frustrated because I didn't know how to use it. Um, I didn't take the time to learn how to use it. I ended up burning up my blade. So then I didn't have money to get a new blade. And it was just, it wasn't enjoyable. It was just frustrating. Um, and it was just another one of those things where it's like, yeah, I had this really, really awesome tool. It was a grizzly brand saw. Like I had this awesome tool and yet it was almost more frustrating having it than not having it because I didn't know how to use it. Gotcha. Um, and so as I moved away from trying to run and do like this side business that was trying to be profitable and I just kind of. You know, I took a break and I got back into it more as just hobbying and doing things for family and friends. I didn't have a need for it, but I did have a need for some cash because we were moving um, and I didn't know how much space we were going to have in the new place. And so I sold the bandsaw. I sold a thickness planer, a couple other tools because, mm -hmm. um, like I said, we needed the cash. I didn't need them because I wasn't trying to do production work where I was cranking things out all the time. Um, and these were tools that I just didn't have a really a huge need for and so that takes me to the beds that i built you know we talked about them i think in probably episode one and two and when i finally got around to building the beds i was limited to a a router table mm -hmm. not a plunge router but a router table um a drill press a table saw you know, a, a, a nice workbench with a nice vice and a number five Stanley sweetheart plane. Wow. Um, and obviously, you know, some, some, uh, Buck brothers, uh, chisels mm -hmm. and a couple of cheap, a couple of cheap hand saws. Um, like one of them's a Buck brothers. And every time I saw with it, the blade bends, like oh, <laughs> not my. a, not a great saw. Um, but the thing is, is so when I approached the project, I said, instead of saying, okay, I want to build this bed and therefore I need all of these tools to build it. I said, what can I do with the tools that I have mm -hmm. and with a chance of being successful? And the answer was mortise and ten, basic mortise and tenon joinery because I had, a, I have a mallet, I have chisels, I have a table saw, and that's really all you need to do mortise and tenon joints. They're, they're very sure. basic joints, but they're strong joints. They hold just fine. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot of torque that's going to be on these beds. You know, no one's going to be like, uh, you know, there's just, it, it worked just, just, just fine. It was a very simple, basic design, but I designed based on the tools I had instead of going and buying the tools that I thought I needed to fit some design that I had created. Hmm. So it, it, it encouraged and inspired creativity and I am more satisfied with those beds than anything else I've built because I took my time. I set myself up to be successful. I didn't set myself up to fail because I didn't 
I didn't create a design that was beyond my skill set or my tool set. Mm -hmm. um, it pushed me because I hadn't done mortise and tenons before, but I knew the skills required, you know, the, the pieces that would make that possible. Um, and that, and it was such a rewarding project. I did not buy any tools for that project. I actually, I almost bought a plunge router. But I was like, I only need to do these mortise and tenons. I don't need the plunge router for 20 other projects. So maybe down the road, I'll get a plunge router, but I just don't need one. So I figured out a way to make it work with the drill press. Sure, it took a little bit more time, but it wasn't any less satisfying. It was actually more satisfying because I, I can say that I did it without a plunge router. I only did it with a drill press and chisels and a mallet. Right. Um, so that's on the tool side of things. So like I said, we, we, we talk about tools, materials, and space. So that's the tools piece. Then we want to talk about scarcity and materials. Right. Um, I feel like this is something that probably every woodworker comes across because one of the sort of sticker shock moments that happens when you first get into woodworking is you realize that wood is expensive. Whether you're using really nice wood or even just, you know, what we would consider, well, I don't know, I guess you have, you have exotics and exotics are really expensive, but even domestic hardwoods, you know, um, they're going to run you up, especially if your entire concept of wood up until then is, you know, construction lumber that you'd get at the home store, um, which you Especially could also when use you that to figure out that a board foot is not a linear foot. Right. Yes. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. I thought it was just eight, $8 a foot. No, no, a board foot. What's a board foot? Oh dear. Yeah. Then it's even more expensive. <laughs> and for our, for our non woodworking listeners, uh, a board foot is, uh, it, it's a square foot that's one inch thick, basically. Yep. Um, so uh, it, you have to you have to calculate that depending on the thickness of the wood. You know, wood sold by board foot, and it, it is not linear foot because it, you know the width of the board, the thickness of the board, is going to change how long a board foot is in that particular instance. And uh, yeah, it's it definitely you rack up you know, you rack up this big expense in wood, not to mention the fact that you have your offcuts, you have your, your waste that you plane away or that you sand away. And, and you just think, Oh my goodness, it's like, I'm, it's like I'm planing away money. Um, but there's also a temptation with all of these nice, you know, exotic woods and things like that to kind of put all of them into one project. You know, you'll, you'll, when you do start working with good wood, you tend to go overboard and you try to put like too much, too many different materials into a project. And it can look pretty weird. You know, um, you start to find that less is more. And so, you know, that's another lesson that we can learn from scarcity uh, in terms of materials is when you restrict yourself to only using one or two species of wood in a project, you start to learn the characteristics of those species. And if you restrict yourself to working with a handful of them, 
you'll start to know which ones are better for which purposes or how the grain looks and how you can use that to enhance your woodworking. Um, and which not, ones complement each other well. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of a lot of woodworkers when they start out will go for contrast, you know, maple and walnut or maple and purple heart or you know, stuff like that. But then you know, there's a place for that, but too much of it starts to get really tiring to look at. Um, and so then, you know, a, a lot of woodworkers as they get more experienced with using different woods, they'll start to go instead of contrast, they'll start to go for complement. And so they'll start to look for woods that are maybe in the same color family, but different variations of color. Um, and know. all of those woodworkers who do that and do it very, very well, mm -hmm. they've gotten to that point by doing exactly what you just said, which is they know the grain patterns. They know what it's going to look like when it's finished. And they know, you know, they've been working with these materials for so long that they really, really know which ones complement each other, which ones play well together. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a natural tendency, just like with two tools, to look at those who are really, really good at what they do and say, they're using contrasting materials. And so therefore I must do that also in order for me to feel like I'm doing really cool projects. And that's, you know, that's no more true than I need all these really expensive tools. And, you know, for us, the best example that we could come up with was, uh, and I, I'm, I'm certain that all of our listeners follows Jay Bates. Um, but you look at, at him and the work that he's done where most of his projects, if not all of them, started out with construction grade lumber. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing is he's still using that for a lot of projects. Now he's using a lot of other materials as well, but he's worked with it so much. He knows it so well that he has turned out some of the most amazing pieces of furniture I've ever seen with taking a 2x10 or a 2x12 and ripping it into riffs on white pine and making just some beautiful projects mm -hmm. and all with just a limited set of materials, a material that's easily available to him, readily available at an affordable cost. And part of that is, you know, recognizing that his audience, the people that follow him don't have a lot of money to spend on really expensive materials. And so he's showing us, the great things that you can do with a limited set of materials, you know, just as we mentioned with, you know, what you can do with a limited set of tools, which, so, you know, Jay, thank you for that. Uh, and it's, it's a perfect example of how, you know, materials and, and scarcity materials can also really help kind of, you know, inspire creativity. Right. Um, yeah. And, and we'll, we'll put up a link to uh, a playlist of this, but, he did his entire guest bedroom suite in uh, southern yellow pine that was ripped from 2x10s and 2x12s. Um, and it, it's just, it's amazing to see, you know, I, I feel like a lot of us have this picture in our mind of furniture that was made with construction lumber, you know, and a lot yeah. of us kind of disparage furniture that was made with construction lumber like it looks boxy it looks unfinished it looks you know inelegant but you look at this bedroom suite that jay bates made and it's really impressive like 
I'm not sure that the average person would be able to look at that and tell that he had gotten it from, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's amazing. Um, and that, it actually, uh, I, I'm not trying to equate myself with Jay Bates, but I have a similar story that I'd like to share in terms of um, scarcity and materials. As I mentioned on the last show, a lot of my initial woodworking projects when I first got started with the hobby were using reclaimed material. Um, I started out with pallet wood that I would break down from the pallets myself, which I think is a very common um, experience for a lot of first-time woodworkers. And it started out out of necessity. You know, I didn't have the money to spend. You know, I spent money on tools and I didn't have a whole lot to spend on wood, but I, I really had these projects that I wanted to make and I wanted to sort of dive into the hobby. So I started using pallet wood. And then the other place that I went, which is, um, I highly recommend it if any of you have one in your area, um, Habitat for Humanity op operates these, uh, what they call restores, which is basically they take uh, leftover materials as donations, um, leftover materials from job sites and construction sites and things and um, things that people will donate to them, and then they will resell it at a very much lower price than what you could buy it elsewhere. Um, and then they use that money to fund the Habitat for Humanity projects that they do. And so such a great we, program. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. You can find anything there. You can find lumber, you can find um, fixtures like plumbing fixtures, lighting fixtures, uh, basically anything that you'd buy at a home store um, for for building materials you can find there. Um, and, and of course, you know, you have to go and look. It's kind of like Craigslist. You can't dependably find things there but uh but there's always something good um and i actually found they were i'm still not entirely sure what the species of wood is because they had a whole bunch of spalting on it but it's it's the wood that i made the outdoor murphy bar uh from and i loved that project by the way oh thank you it that was, was a, really cool it was a lot of fun to build um, I'd love to make a new one now that I'm a, I feel like a, a more advanced woodworker than I was then I I'd like to make a new one. That's a little bit less rustic and a little bit more refined. Um, I, th I think I still want to keep it outside though. Cause I'm not sure that I'd have the use for a Murphy bar inside, but I, I want to try that again anyway. Yeah. So, uh, I, I got a bunch of these. Um, they were, if I remember correctly, they were like one by eights or one by tens that were 12 feet long and they were giving them away because they had so much spalting that no no one wanted to buy them for construction. But the people who were there, they knew that underneath that layer of grime and muck on the outside, you know, once you plane that away, it's going to be awesome lumber that you can use with a lot of good character in it. So um, I was able to pick those up for free. And what I'm getting at here is I started out with this out of necessity, but because I worked with those materials, I got to know a little bit more about working with reclaimed lumber in general. And I got to learn some of the things that you can and can't do with it. You know, um, it's, it's not really with, with a few exceptions, it's not best to use for, uh, structural needs, you know, um, right. 
So if you can, it's better to uh, use a little bit more stable wood for the structure and then use the reclaimed stuff as like a, not a veneer, but like an outer layer, you know, for the character of it. But um, what it all boiled down to was I was then able, once I started using a little bit more nicer materials, I was then able to go back and take my knowledge of reclaimed materials and use that in ways that I wouldn't have been able to had I not worked with it so long. And so one of the projects that I did that I'm actually I'm fairly proud of is uh, I worked as an assistant manager for a local cooperative grocery store um, called the Valley Co-op. And one of the things that we all noticed, all of the employees, was that we didn't have anywhere to hang up our coats um, because you know, we kind of set up the shop uh, in, we opened a grocery store, basically, I should, I should give a little bit of background. We opened a grocery store um, in the spring and summer. And by the time it got to be winter, and we were all coming in with coats, we had nowhere to put them. And we didn't think about it because we opened the store in, in nicer weather. So it's I funny how that to, works. Yeah, isn't it funny? Yeah, hindsight yeah. is great. <laughs> but um so I volunteered to make a coat rack. And so I, uh, you know, it's it's a cooperative grocery store. So um, there's a, a big emphasis on um, conservation, uh, you know, local materials, local um, farmers, local produce, things like that. And so I thought it would be neat to use reclaimed lumber, you know, with the whole green recycling kind of thing. And so... Um, I actually, I made a coat rack out of pallet wood and I used like a Dremel tool to carve the Valley Co-op logo in it. And then I painted nice. it and sanded it. I'll, I'll stick a picture up on the show notes. Cool. Um, but it was, it was really neat. And I think it turned out really well because it, you can see the character of the reclaimed lumber, but at the same time, it doesn't look like I just slapped a bunch of pallet boards together and spray painted it and called it done. Like, you know, it, it has, it has some elements of fine woodworking and some elements of this sort of resourceful, rustic reclaimed lumber. Um, and I don't think that I would have had the presence of mind and the skill set to do that had I not spent so much time working with reclaimed lumber in the first place. So definitely like take what you have, whatever it is, whatever you can afford and spend time with it and don't write it off as like, Oh, well, I have to use this because it's, you know, it's the bottom of the barrel. It's what I can get. Like every, every material that you use has awesome things about it. You just need to find out what they are, find out how to use it in the way that gets the most out of it. That sort of brings it to life. So that's, that's what I'd encourage our listeners to do. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a perfect example of, Again, going back to my, the design, right? All of this mm -hmm. stuff stuff starts with the design. How can I make beds with the tools that I have? How can I make this coat rack with the materials that I have? And right. and we'll talk about space here in a minute. Um, versus I'm just going to make something up and then I'm going to go buy the tools I need or go buy the materials I need or go rent the space that I need in order to make this thing that I designed. <laughs> or the design is a factor of the tools and skills and materials and space not the other way around. Right. And it's tempting to do that. You look at somebody's work and you say, wow, that would be so cool if I could make that. But you can't. 
<laughs> but you can make something else that's just as rewarding because it's with the stuff that you already have. Um, and so I think that's that's fantastic. So the last piece that we want to talk about is is the space, right? Mm -hmm. So tools, materials, and space. And nobody has a shop that's big enough. Everybody right. wants more space. I want more <laughs> space. Um, but just like everything else, there is beauty in the scarcity of space. Uh, mm -hmm. And that scarcity of space inspires creativity and inspires creativity in how you use the space, the type of shop furniture that you build, um, the types of projects that you build right. or how you build them. Um, you know, having a small space doesn't necessarily mean that you can't build a large piece of furniture. It just might mean that you have to get creative about how you design it mm -hmm. so that um, you can get it to fit. I, I didn't think about this until I just said that, but there was uh, one of Jimmy Duresta's videos. He did a sectional, like uh, a, a sectional built-in wooden uh, bench seating uh, with built-in storage. Okay. Um, and it's this big L shape. So it's probably, you know, let's say 10 feet by like eight feet, but it's an L, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't build the whole thing as an L in your shop and then carry this giant L out into, you know, and put it on a, on a truck and, and deliver it into this small apartment up 10 flights of stairs in the middle of New York city. Right. So what did he do? He designed it so that he could build the L in his shop, then take it apart so that he can transport it. Um, and then reassemble it in, in the space that he had. So, you know, he, his design was revolved around not only his shop space, but his transportation space. And, you know, that's just, uh, you know, that's just one example. I mean, of, of how you can be creative with the limited space that you have. And maybe it, maybe awesome. it comes down to, um, you know, let's say you're in an apartment, right? A lot of people think, well, I'm in an apartment. I just can't do woodworking. I was that way. And we lived in an apartment for two years and mm -hmm. I, I had a table saw that it was at my parents' house. So, you know, whenever I went over there, I could use it, but I, you know, this was before we had kids. So we had all this free time and I kind of wonder like, man, what I would give to have some of that, some of that time back to, you know, learn how to do wood carving, you know, spoon carving or, um, or just hand tool woodworking where you're not running power tools. And so, you know, doing small projects with hand tools would, would work just fine in a small space. Right. Um, the, the other interesting thing about uh, working in a small space is there's sort of an economy of, I mean, we think about uh, working in a small space. There, there are two functions. One is is the function of the projects that you're able to build because you only have so much space to work around. And so your your story about Jimmy DeResta speaks to that. But then there's also what to do with tools, you know, how many tools you can fit in that space. And the best example of that that I've ever seen or heard of is Diami Plotki. And again, there are probably very few of our listeners who aren't already familiar with Diabny Plotki, but um, he has, I, I want to say his shop was a one-car garage, and I mean, he's he's got he's got tools that slide under other tools, and, and you know, um, he's just, he's devised a lot of good space-saving techniques. Um, you can go online... Uh, when you look him up, he does like shop tours and things where you can, you can see the, the um, 
layout of his shop. And uh, he always says, you know, don't tell me that you don't have room for a tool because <laughs> I, I've been able to fit this, 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 that, and that into this, you know, really tiny shop. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. So, you know, um, he's really inspirational for uh, figuring out ways of getting you know that big old tool that i could never fit in my shop well yes you can and if you want to figure out how go look at diami palaki um so that's a great great resource um for anyone who's in a small space and not kind of not knowing what to do there yeah that's a great i mean that's a great example like and and i know uh, there's several people that have built them um i know brad from fix this build that and uh, Tyler also has, you know, made those flip top carts, which yes. are really great use of space where, you know, you've got two tools covering only, you know, really two square feet of, of floor space, mm-hmm. um, because you're never using both of them at the same time. And it takes five seconds to flip the cart over. You got one tool on top, one tool on the bottom, you flip it over and you're ready to go on the next one um, is a really great way of really maximizing space. Um, right. And another great way of saving space is to only have a limited set of tools. Exactly. <laughs> Full circle. You know, we talked about tools, we talked about materials, um, and we talked about space. Um, what are, what resources do we have, Adam, that we, we had come up with that, you know, we can share with, with our listeners to, you know, kind of help drive some of these messages home. Um, and maybe kind of inspire them uh, and encourage them to see what they can do with what they do have. We've compiled a list of some YouTube videos from both uh, DIY Tyler and Mark Spagnolo, the Wood Whisperer, that use a limited set of tools, um, either out of necessity or by design, uh, to encourage those who have fewer tools to realize that they can still do amazing things. So we're going to put those in the show notes and we highly encourage you to check them out. Even if you have a full complement of awesome woodworking tools, you should watch videos like this anyway, because you may discover a use for one of your tools that you didn't think about. And it might be, you know, more convenient to say, uh, use a jigsaw to cut out a curve than a bandsaw. You know, and, you know, there are a lot of great tips on how to use limited tools and get great results in those videos. So check them out. Awesome. And so that leads us to our challenge. And really, our challenge this time is just to give some thought to this idea of, you know, of, of scarcity um, and, and temperance around tools, materials, and space. And we just want to hear from you. You know, share share your story. Share your stories about, you know, the, the tools maybe that you started with or the materials, some of your earlier projects or, you know, what constraints you have within the current shop space and how you found ways to um, not only deal with it, but really make it a, a valuable commodity. Um, and we'd, we'd really love to hear from you. So that's really our challenge. Just, just think about these, t- these topics and really share your experiences and what uh, wisdom and inspiration you have, because, you know, going back to what Adam said earlier in in the episode, we've been blown away by all of these wonderful and talented woodworkers that we've met. I mean, we're not doing this podcast because we think that we're awesome at woodworking and we want to, you know, help other people be <laughs> awesome. We're doing this because we love woodworking. 
And it's been a great opportunity for us to meet other woodworkers. And so we don't have by any stretch of the imagination, all the answers or even some of them, uh, but we don't have to because you can find all of this stuff within this, when this is in this great community. So really our challenge is, is, is share those experiences and some of the inspiration uh, that you've had. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Definitely. And to that end, we would like to meet with you as well. One of the things that we've been talking about doing and talking about doing and talking about doing, and we're just going to bite the bullet and do it is the week after Thanksgiving, we would like to organize a hangout, you know, uh, a meeting of anyone who's interested, really. Um, anyone who listens to the show, uh, even if you don't listen to the show, although I don't really know how you're going to find out about it, but <laughs> we'd be happy to chat with you. Um, we want to we want to talk to you. We want to hear your story. Um, we we want to share ours with you, and we think that that would be a really neat thing. So, um, what are we looking at logistically? Well, so we're thinking about one of the nights, like Tuesday, probably Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, the week after Thanksgiving, rough, probably around like 9 p.m. Eastern. Thinking that, you know, for those of us who have kids, gets a chance to get the kids down to bed, spend some time with your spouse. If you're single, well, then good for you because you're free all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, and and really, we just, you know, we, like like Adam said, we want to hear from you. Um, so once you once you listen to this episode, we'd love to get your comments as to if there's a night of the week that works better for you. Mm-hmm. We'd love to do something like this either monthly or every, you know, every six to eight weeks or something like that. Um, because we very much want this idea of, you know, virtuous woodworking and living virtuously in the shop. Um, we think it's much bigger than just the two of us. It's something that we've both come to appreciate and really wanted to share our experiences, but we see so many of you living virtuously day to day already. And really what we're looking to do is just highlight that and, and build this, continue to build out this phenomenal community. And, uh, you know, I th- we thought a great way to do that was to give us a chance though, even though we don't all live locally, uh, to get together, spend some time hanging out, um, talking shop, um, and, 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 you know, share some of the things that kind of some of the visions that we have for for the Arbor Vitae podcast and just bigger brand and, and community mm-hmm. uh, and, and get your feedback and, and some of your inspirations as well. So uh, let us know in the comments on, you know, on the, on the website or on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you're finding us. Uh, let us know if there's a night that works better than others. Um, and, and look for more details as we get closer to those, those days. Um, this will air, Adam, will this air Friday night after Thanksgiving? I believe so. Yep. 7 p.m. So when you guys are listening to this, it should be exactly at 7.01 p.m. on Friday after Thanksgiving. Um, and we'll hear from you shortly after that. Uh, so we look forward <laughs> to hearing from you guys on that. We're pretty excited about the idea and, and hopefully you guys are as well. Yep. And uh, we're running out of time, but we would be very remiss if we did not mention our featured craftsman this week, who is Tyler G of uh, DIY Tyler. Um, We mentioned him a little bit ago when we were talking about uh, scarcity and tools, but um, Jonathan and I had the pleasure of talking to him together and and doing a joint interview um, that we will be releasing uh, the week after Thanksgiving 
and there's some really great stuff in there. Um, I mean, we've we've already kind of talked about some of the reasons why we admire Tyler and and look up to him as a as a great role model um, for woodworking virtuously. Um, but it, there were there were just so many great things in this interview um, that we we really had fun recording with him. It was fantastic. Uh, we're, so we're, we're grateful for Tyler to, to, you know, to spend the time with us, uh, to share generously of his experiences. I had the pleasure of shoot it, man. It was actually, I think two years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. I got to spend a weekend with him, uh, and his family, uh, in his, in his shop. This was, a, I think a couple months after he had gotten his ex carve. Um, and you know, I was, I was, I was chomping at the bit to try it out, but I just wanted to meet him. You know, he's a great guy. Um, stumbled across, you know, he had a, a St. Joseph statue in his, in his shop as well. And like, that's literally, I saw that on YouTube. I, I asked him about it and it was, and, you know, we got to talking and, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, we ended up planning a, a weekend and just, I mean, his wife is wonderful. His kids are awesome. He's a great guy. Uh, very, very generous man. Yes, um, incredibly very talented, you know, en- engineering mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just a, a phenomenal weekend. We had a blast, um, and we've stayed in touch. Uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to, to visit him again soon. But, um, you know, those are the types of things that we've all come to really, really appreciate and enjoy about this. And, uh, you know, his interview was just phenomenal. There's so much that he has learned over the past couple of years doing, uh, doing a YouTube channel, um, mm-hmm. you know, about production, you know, about the woodworking stuff, but also just running a business and, um, you know, balancing time. I, I think the temperance piece is really going to come into play in the interview itself, talking yeah. about how to how to be disciplined and manage your time as a family man and somebody who has a full time job and doing this thing on the side for, um, you know, helping f- uh, pay for, uh, you know, kids college futures mm-hmm. uh where without that discipline you know the success is not you know success is is not is very much driven by that discipline um and so there's some great tips that he has we encourage you to listen to that when we get it posted um but tyler thank you um uh for being our featured craftsman this week uh truly an honor to be able to to share that with the rest of our of our listeners Definitely. You can find Tyler at DIY Tyler on YouTube, especially YouTube's his big thing, but he's also on Instagram, Facebook, you know, stuff like that. Um, You can find him basically anywhere at DIY Tyler. So that's all we have for this week, uh, this episode of the Arbor Vitae podcast. Uh, Next episode, uh, we are going to be talking about social media and hope. And so... We look forward to that one very much. Um, as always, you can find us on our website at arborvitaepodcast.com. Uh, also, you know, find the podcast on any any number of the channels uh, where you can typically download podcasts. We'd always love to hear from our listeners uh, as comments, feedback, uh, stories, anything you want to share. We'd love to hear from you. Our email is contact at arborvitaepodcast.com. And then on Instagram and Facebook, uh, and additionally, Adam and I have our own feeds on Instagram. I am the Catholic Woodworker on Instagram, and Adam is the Catholic Composer. So 
just a quick reminder last thing the challenge of you know thinking about tools materials and space how you have found uh inspiration and creativity and the scarcity uh and, and tempering those those things in the shop so we look forward to hearing from you and as always stay virtuous